There were still blood stains everywhere and bullet holes on the walls. He was able to go round and like point and show me which stain or hole belonged to which person. You're listening to Everyday Emergency, a podcast from Doctors Without Borders. Welcome to Everyday Emergency. I'm Nick Owen from Doctors Without Borders. Today, I'll be talking to Emily Gilbert, an MSF project coordinator from London who spent her entire career working in the midst of conflict. This is the problem, it's addictive. I don't know any job in the UK where I'd be given that responsibility or have something that interesting to deal with where you're speaking with armed groups each day, you're accessing patients that just wouldn't have any other way of getting help if you if MSF weren't there. Speaking with Emily, it's clear how much she loves her job and how committed she is to the work. But at this point in her career, Emily's come to a crossroads. You see friends around you, like, you know, having their own lives established and having a normal proper income, having a house, kids, marriage, everyone's at it. And then you go in and you're like, oh, I'm really behind. (laughs) I just chat to rebels in Marks and Spencer trench coats. Later on in this episode, we'll talk to Emily about how her job has impacted her personal life. But for now, let's look at what the job actually entails. Whether she's in the Middle East or Central Africa, Emily's main roles are to make sure her team is safe and that the project she's looking after runs as smoothly as possible. With a typical MSF project having 4 to 12 international and up to 200 local staff, you can imagine the pressure she must feel. Believe it or not, in every place we work, it's the logo on our t-shirts that keeps us safe. But a lot of work needs to be done by people like Emily to make sure we get to this point. Our project coordinators are constantly talking with community leaders, local governments and armed actors to make sure they understand that MSF is a neutral and impartial organisation. It's Emily's job to explain that we provide free medical care to people who need it. It doesn't matter where they're from, which religion they belong to, or what their political affiliations are. All that matters is they are people in need. Emily also explains that we don't take sides. She needs to get an understanding from everyone that in the ward of one MSF hospital, you might find wounded civilians alongside injured soldiers from opposing sides, and that hostilities and weapons have to be left at the gate. This is particularly important in countries like Democratic Republic of Congo and Central African Republic, where there are many sides to the conflict. Once these principles are established, we're confident that the logo on our shirt is enough to keep us safe. I find it really interesting, especially as a project coordinator, because if you're in a difficult, unstable context, then a huge percentage of your time and your job generally is taken up following the conflict at a local and also like more national level. And yeah, I find that really interesting. North Kivu is an eastern province in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Emily was placed there for her last MSF assignment. She looked after two projects. North Kivu itself has 60 to 70 armed groups, but an armed group can be anything from 10 men to hundreds. I was project coordinator for two projects there. One of them was the emergency team, which covered, in general, North Kivu, um, and then focused where there were outbreaks of malaria or... um, big you know big health needs that that cropped up and needed responding to we were a very small team so i knew that this project was 
specifically placed where it is because it's across various front lines. And so you're working with lots of different groups, lots of different parts of the community, different tribes. It's a Congo generally, there's a lot of uh, tribal tension and potentially tribal conflict. There was in our area and often the groups are linked with different tribes. And so it can flare up in the between the armed groups, it can also then flare up in the community and then within the project between patients or even staff. Emily had lengthy briefings about the situation in North Kivu prior to leaving. Being an area of active conflict, she wasn't quite prepared by the scenes that would greet her. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It's like, it's right in the mountains, it's lush green grass, green trees everywhere, bright red and orange flowers. So yeah, difficult to realise that you're actually in a conflict zone, basically. I mean, it wasn't armed active conflict all the time, but it was um, it was ongoing tensions and frequent reportings of armed robberies on the road, kidnappings, yeah, NGOs being targeted. So it's a bit of a contradictory place because on the surface it looks amazing. It looks so beautiful, like... And if the place was stable, I'm sure it'd be one of the top tourist destinations of the world. But when you start finding out what's going on under the surface, it's not at all. It's it's not paradise in any way. And it's another contradiction that inspired Emily to write the blog post we're about to hear. The balance between life in an MSF project and your personal life at home is one that many MSF staff struggle with. Negotiating with armed actors in order to keep hundreds of patients and staff safe is not something many people can relate to. When you suddenly go on holiday and you're in a world where people are like talking about what should be really normal stuff but then starts to sound really abnormal and start moaning about things that like things that you've forgotten even existed like TV programs and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends on your headspace at the time and what else is going on in your life a little bit and also how many how long you've spent in these places probably impacts it some people can carry on for years and years and not be impacted and just seem to be fine (laughs) maybe they're dying inside Um. this blog post was written a few weeks after Emily got back to Congo from a well-deserved but short holiday in Italy it's called Downtime and is read by actress Aspen Rice I've just spent the last two weeks on holiday in Italy. Beautiful sunshine, beautiful scenery, great food and of course, great wine. My Facebook photo album looks like a postcard stand in a Tuscan winery, smiles, sunglasses and seafood. Sure, I had a great time in Europe, but there was also a darker side that the Facebook album somehow doesn't show. The feeling of emptiness, of panic about the future and of a lack of purpose in those few days off I was granted. There was nothing I had to do, nothing I had to get up for, and no one who needed me. In the MSF project I work in, it's the opposite. My to-do list is never shorter than four A4 pages, and strange noises, unexpected incidents or visitors often give me a reason to get up way earlier than the 6am alarm. Most days I'm awake and ready to go at 4.30, plus people need me, all the time. My office door should be a revolving one due to the number of people who come in and out every few minutes. The other week I was visited by five different people while trying to type out one single sentence in an email. And I love it. 
I love the interaction with different people on different issues and having to solve problems that would sound entirely ridiculous in the real world. A woman's just given birth in the field next to our base. Can we send the car out to take her to the hospital? People are fleeing from the camp we're in. Should we evacuate? This armed group leader can't meet you now today. Can we rearrange for Saturday? And so on. I love the sense that I am being useful and I'm necessary. Sure, I'm easily replaced by any other PC as soon as my assignment ends or I go and leave. But for those seven days a week, for those few months, while I'm in a project with responsibilities and a title, I am a somebody and I have a cause. This sense of self that the MSF world gives makes holiday and downtime a potentially scary, empty place. The months between my last two missions hit me the hardest. I was kind of stuck in this limbo between working and having a raison d'etre, and being with friends and family, fitting in with their work schedule and spending all my annual earnings in my hometown in just a few months. It's either one or the other, never both. Either work and purpose, or time with lifelong friends and family. It's never work in the day and family and friends at evenings and weekends. You also spend your time seeing other people your age with proper jobs, grown-up homes and families. Panic starts to set in about your own future. I genuinely started questioning the meaning of life and my own reason for being. This is not something people talk openly about or write about often, but it's very real. As a female especially, you are forced at a certain point in your life to choose in this sector, just like in many others, career or family. Most of the places MSF work are not baby-friendly. Rocking up with a toddler to a worn-torn country is not something many people want to do or something MSF would allow you to do. Although there are a few family postings in some of the more stable countries MSF works in, these are hard to come by and seem to be occupied mainly by people who have dedicated most of their lives to the cause and who have been on the planet longer than me. I wonder how many other people feel like this. I know I'm not the only one. Trapped in a world of toing and froing, with no solid base and a network of family and friends from whose contact list you gradually drop off as you have less and less time to spend with them. And when you do, you have fewer and fewer things left in common. I got a great bargain in Debenhams the other day, new curtains for half price. I really want to be able to relate, but it's becoming harder to. I think about the people we work with who have very few worldly possessions and barely, if any, access to clean drinking water. And I really don't want to be that person who trivialises other people's lives and problems or makes their reality seem less important than anyone else's, as it's not. They're just different and a reflection of how unequal the world is. I also tried the life of home decor and IKEA trips a couple of years ago and I loved it. I too got a great bargain at DFS on a mock-up, yes, not just brown, sofa, 30% off in the winter sale. I was entirely drawn into and enthusiastic about discussions of what Mabel down the street said last week to the neighbour. But at some point the field started calling again and it was time to go. A few years ago, I was quite happy to leave and be thrown back into the field, with often strong but transient friendships, where discussions are instead about national politics, the latest mystery patient case in the hospital, and, well, poop. With MSF working with doctors and nurses and in conditions where water and sanitation is often very basic and where our mandated work revolves around health, talking about poop at least once a day is unavoidable. Okay, three times a day. 
over breakfast, lunch and dinner. But for me, there seems to have been a shift this last year or so, as now I don't just want to talk about poop, but I want to talk about curtains too. I can also tell I'm becoming alien to people at home. When I first started this work and people would ask me when I went home, how was it? I used to try to go into streams of detail about what life in the field was like, movements of armed groups, patients, etc. I soon learned, however, that actually what I thought was massively interesting to people was actually too far removed from their reality for them to want to hear more than a couple of sentences. After years of trying to force the cause, apart from the exceptions, I now usually settle for, yeah, it was good. I created this life, I know. And 10 years ago, this is exactly the life I wanted. Early 20s me would look at current me and beam with pride. I realise I'm lucky too. Current me would tell early 20s me to stop stressing about finding a way into this career and that it will all work out. I used to hugely envy the delegates that walked into our office in London when I worked for another humanitarian organisation in their HQ. I used to brief them on things I knew so little about and inside was secretly wishing I was them. Now I am them, and what I hadn't taken into consideration is that at a certain point it becomes hard to get out. There aren't so many options for generalist project managers in the humanitarian world when they want to reintegrate back home. Some people get jobs in NGO HQ offices, though salaries are not usually supportive of a family in a city like London. I've heard of quite a few humanitarians who leave this work entirely and buy farms in some countryside in Europe, growing vegetables and making wine. Maybe that's not such a bad plan. I love my job, and I love MSF, and I hope it stays a part of my life for many years to come. Just sometimes I wish it would be part of my life in a form more like a cousin or a neighbour, rather than a controlling mother who takes over every aspect of my daily living and sleeping. Someone that you can pop in and see for a nice wholesome chat over a homemade roast dinner at a time that suits you, as opposed to someone who wants a say in every tiny little thing you do. In the field, as a project coordinator, I have to have my radio with me and be available 24-7. I can't even go to the bathroom in peace. I can't count the number of times I've been disturbed in the toilet or in the night by the crackle of the radio calling me, or a phone call from someone in the mountains who finally has signal and needs to update me urgently on the latest security information. My friend once compared it to raising her son. The other night in the project, I took a five-minute shower, with a bucket of course, not an actual shower, And as I was getting dressed, I heard a lot of commotion directly outside our base, quite near to my bedroom, and simultaneously was being called by various people over the radio. Should I go outside and only a towel, which would be entirely culturally inappropriate and not something I would like to flee in if I had to? Or should I respond quickly on the radio and delay a couple of minutes to put my trousers and shirt on? As there was another member of the international staff outside, who I knew could deal with security issues, I chose to get dressed and join the team a few minutes later when the commotion had calmed down and turned out to be nothing to worry about. This is part of normal life in the field and normal life as a project coordinator, permanently on call and permanently ready to respond to whatever need arises next. As I said though, I do love it, but I'm hoping one day I can find a balance between doing this work that I love and also having a strong network of friends and family and a stable home where I'm allowed to go outside after 6pm to just about wherever I want. And until then, I better get back to DRC. 
When it comes to talking about unrelatable events in one's life, between working in an MSF project and discussing, say, curtain options back home, nothing comes close to what you're about to hear from Emily. The 26th of April 2014 will be remembered as one of the darkest days in MSF's living memory. 19 Central Africans, including three MSF staff, were killed during an armed robbery in the grounds of MSF's hospital in Bugila, Central African Republic. Over a year later, Emily was posted to the same hospital to oversee the project. And the incident had happened in the outpatient department and nobody had had entered that whole department since it had happened. There's a strong belief in black spirits. Um, I mean, there were a few members of staff that gradually would go in, but in general, nobody would. And there was one that took me round when I got there and there were still bloodstains everywhere and bullet holes on the walls. And um, he was able to go round and like point and show me which stain or hole belonged to which person. And a lot, a lot of the people that died were um, community leaders because it was a community leader meeting. So it rocked the entire community. And it was like, yeah, it was like something out of a horror film. It was horrible. There was still like um, cleaning rotors on the wall where of the date that was like signed, the, the date that that event had happened, um, it was signed off as the cleaner having done the checks. And they'd also left the, um, the guard who had been sat in the corner, like overseeing the whole department. Um, he'd been shot off his chair and the chair had been left in that exact same place with like um yeah blood stains and stuff near it the fact that no one could bring themselves to clean up the blood stains and take down the cleaning rotor where this horrific incident occurred shows just how much trauma was involved for the community but what began as a horror story soon turned into something incredible after i'd been there a few months more and more people felt that it was safe to go back in there and one of the senior members of staff um, said to me look I think we should rehabilitate this building and use it again so I made it my aim before the end of my contract to actually um, get this place rehabilitated and so we planned it with the with the national staff and then, yeah, with a lot of teamwork, they actually um, completed the rehabilitation after I'd left, but um, they then sent photos through and it was amazing to see that they'd, you know, started using this place and they had like a, I think they've put like a memorial plaque up for people. Um, the waiting room was full in the photos that I had sent to me. And they, they sent a photo through of the first patient that they went back and yeah, I mean, the whole, it it's, has a huge impact on the whole community because it's, the hospital there is the biggest in the area. It's bringing people in from miles. It's also bringing in a lot of work and money on for the local economy as well. And so it's quite a central part of Bogila community and it was really great to see that. What's striking about Emily's portrayal of her work is that she sees herself as so replaceable. Even while doing things like coordinating the rehabilitation of such an iconic hospital department. But she's steadfast in her belief that the stable presence of the local staff is what drives MSF projects. The international staff come and go, but the local team are constantly there, which is what keeps the trust between MSF and the communities we serve. And they're the ones carrying on the work and 
struggling on a daily basis to keep the place running whilst also being part if you're in a, com a conflict zone they're also part of it they're not necessarily safe because they're part of the tensions and the the tribal conflicts that are going on underneath the surface and so half the time you have no idea what they're going through on a daily or weekly basis staff will come on a regular basis and tell you they've lost a brother or a sister or a child or parents often consecutively over a few weeks and need time off work for that but it's all quite matter of fact Emily's now been back in the UK for a couple of months and so to end this episode we asked her if her feelings about work and home are still the same as when she wrote her blog yeah I guess so yeah and you stop fitting in like people people just carry on their lives often nothing's changed and then you're excited to come back and you expect people to be excited to see you but of course they're not because they have all their other stuff going on and they're not used to you being there you haven't invested time in that relationship you've been away for too long and so you come back and actually they're they're more likely to you know their loyalties lie with other people i i have a big appreciation for you know friends from childhood and university because you you realize how valuable that is that somebody actually knows something about you and you don't have to re-establish a connection and start telling them something and you just obviously you don't get that when you're meeting people in new projects all the time yeah so it's nice to come home and not have to make small talk with people that know you you can just go and have a takeaway and a bottle of wine they're like how was it and you're like yeah it's fine and they're like, do you see that episode of EastEnders? No, I was in Congo. <laughs> they don't show it there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Emergency. This episode was produced by me, Nick Owen, as well as our editor, Fabio Bassoni, and our intern, Jesse Gutch. If you think you'd be interested in becoming a project coordinator with MSF, you can find out how to apply by going to msf.org.uk and searching for project coordinator. We're always on the lookout for new people to join our movement and previous MSF experience isn't a necessity. As always, it's your feedback, likes and shares that help spread the word about MSF and the people we help. Feel free to ask us questions in the comments section of our podcast page on msf.org.uk slash podcast or leave a comment on iTunes. For more true stories from the front line of medical emergencies, subscribe via your podcast provider or visit msf.org.uk slash podcast.